Yes, it's right there. It's like right there. Duh. So I know you've all been complaining that it's like hot in this service the last few weeks. Right? Don't complain to me. Jesus. He controls the wind and the waves. Not me. But I do, I do have a solution for you. Okay? Go to first service. 815, plenty of seats, and it's cool. I know you're not going to do it, but there's an option. You're welcome. Uh, this week uh, is uh, Paul Shaver's birthday, John Warren's birthday, my birthday, my wife's birthday is next week. And so on Friday night, we're kind of out for dinner. We're sitting at this table, and, and, and one of our spouses, somebody told the waitresses that it was our birthdays. And so right towards the end of dinner, you know what they do? Yeah, like, oh, the embarrassing thing. I'll come over and they're all, like, four or five of them, they're ready to sing the song, and, and all four of us go, no! <laughs> and they're, like, totally offended. We're trying to share the love of Jesus by saying, don't sing the song because we know you look stupid doing it. <laughs> Nobody, I mean, that is one of those things. You go get one of those jobs, and you walk away feeling, okay, I really need the money, but that is just going to kill me have to sing that stupid song all the time. And so we were helping them out. Jesus loves you. Don't sing the song. Right? And they were like totally offended, but we still didn't want the song anyway. So, Isn't it crazy, Those the songs when they sing them? Do they? Just another reason not to go to Roadhouse. <laughs> Am I just heading downhill today fast? Great. Welcome to Element, if you are new. My name is James Fairfield. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, we invite you to grab one of those because the notes inside are a little bit different than what I talk about. And on the back, there are questions. Uh, these questions are to ask your gospel community, your family, your friends to go a little bit deeper in what we talk about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get the sermon notes and the verses and the questions and all that go along with today's message. So stand with me, reading to God's word. We'll get started here. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who have your spirit come and open up our hearts in such a way that we understand your grace and your goodness and how your spirit moves and speaks to us. That we would live lives as your children that naturally reflect the kingdom of God that you have called us to live within and that you would be glorified in all that we do. Amen. Have a seat. So this is Sermon on the Mount, week 23. And if you don't know this, today is a few turning points in the Sermon on the Mount. First off, we are halfway done with the Sermon on the Mount today. Yay. You're going to be a horrible crowd today. I can already tell. Uh, the second thing in it is we just have left chapter 5. We're now in chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And not only are there those two transitions, but also Jesus today kind of does a transition and focus in what we're looking at. And so I'm going to start today by asking you, first and foremost, have you ever ridden a bike? Yeah. Hands. Let me see. Ridden a bike. 
All right, most all of you, that's good. Now, you got to think about what are your first memories of riding a bike or even the first memories of going without training wheels. When I was growing up, my mom never let my brother and I have training wheels because she thought they were for sissies. So we wrecked a lot. She said that teaches us better balance and how to do it right. My mom also let us have video games, not to play all the time, but she said it made good hand-eye coordination. And I still try and convince my wife of that today. It's good hand-eye coordination. Anyway, so, so she wanted us to learn you know, how, to, how to ride these bikes with all this stuff. And I remember in the backyard riding and falling and riding and falling, and we had this really steep driveway. So I got on my bike in the top of the driveway, and I went down it, and I ate it. And I got up went to the top again and went down it, and I ate it. And I got the top and went down it. Eventually, I must have made it because I'm here. I didn't make it. I'd probably still be there going down the driveway, but, you know, I, I kind of figured it out. And, and, you know, kind of when the first time you get to go on a bike without training wheels and you're on your own and you're just going, it feels like you're soaring. It feels amazing. It's like a bird without a fly for the first time. It's just simply amazing. Now, that will make sense in just a moment as we get there, but Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount has this logic and, and this flow to it of how we live in God's world and the way he calls us to. Matthew 6, verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, acts of righteousness would include fasting. That's something you do for you. Uh, gifts of charity, something you do for others. And prayer, something you do for God. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, a lot of people take the Sermon on the Mount and they look at the words of Jesus and they try and make it into a list of do's and don'ts. They pull little things out like they're an editor. Oh, Jesus said this, then Jesus said this, and Jesus said this. And this leads to a horrible compartmentalization of the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus does is it all goes together. It's brilliant and it's subtle and it's got this logical flow. Jesus is going somewhere with it. And so now he's stopped talking about oaths and fidelity and murder and revenge. And now he is starting to talk about acts of righteousness. And the shift is very intentional in what he is doing because he's doing something much bigger than simply giving us a list. So going back to riding bikes. Okay, so who in here still rides bikes today? All right. Wow. Really? Last service, it was like, you know, 10 people and one older lady who was like, oh, now? Oh, no. You know, so, so apparently a lot of you still ride bikes. That, that, that's awesome. Now, think back to the first time you went solo. You probably had, you know, bumps and bruises and Band-Aids, but you forgot all about them when you got to go the first time. Maybe you had a little brother or sister and you helped them, and they had all these bumps and bruises and Band-Aids, and at the first time they went, it was like... This is amazing. They forget about all of those things. Maybe one of the first times you're riding, you hit like a stationary object that does not move. Like a car. <laughs> Happened to me. Or a tree. Okay. I don't ride in the woods, but all right. You know? So you hit this thing. Like when I was a little kid, you know, I, I first learned how to ride this bike. I mean, this bike must have weighed 200 pounds, a little iron piece of garbage that, that I had. And I got down the driveway, and I'm riding, and I hit this car so hard that my tire got stuck in the bumper. And when you hit going that fast and that hard, what happens? You're a little boy. Sink. Boom. I flew about that far, Okay. <laughs> And then I start to cry. I don't know what to do because the bike isn't fast enough to get me home. So I run home, knock on the door. My mom comes out, and then I get a bag of ice. Those are my first thoughts. Remembering how to ride a bike. How crazy is that? It's like I got huge childhood trauma about riding a bicycle. Here's a bicycle. Ah! Just kind of what I want to do. Now, think about it. Has anybody ever helped you how to learn how to ride the bike? 
you know, they ran beside you and they yelled things like, you know, pedal, don't fall. Like that helps, right? Go straight. Like someone saying go straight doesn't help you not spin in circles till you fall over like a top or something like that. They're screaming all these words at you. This is how we kind of try and help everybody to do everything. We give all of these instructions that people don't really know what to do with them. Um, I've played golf like five or six times in my life. I have hit every person with the golf ball I played golf with. It's a gift. I, I don't know why. By the grace of God, I will hit you with a golf ball. Not trying. I had one guy hide behind a tree. I hit the ball and went zing, boom, and it still hit me in the foot. No joke. Dead serious. So, you know, people say things like you're playing golf. Keep your hips straight, swing through, whatever that means. If you're in how to cook, people say, well, put a dash of this in there. What is a dash? We don't know. Have you ever tried to do something and someone gives you these instructions and you're just like, this is complete gibberish. I don't understand it. And yet they look at you like everything they say is completely normal. Right? Check. I don't know. No one teaches me how to do anything. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Go watch a YouTube video and teaches you how to build cabinets. So look at you like you're an idiot if you can't figure it out by, by the end of it. You know, they think everything is so straightforward. Riding a bike is a classical example of that with all these different stages. There's a flow to these stages. First, everything is new. It is go, pedal, don't fall, steer, don't hit the mailbox or the tree or the parked car, whatever it is. Everything is jumbled. It's unfamiliar. We don't even know how to make sense out of the things that are shouted at us. But then eventually, secondly, you start to get a feel for this thing. You know, and start to pedal a little bit more, a little left, a little right. Here's, our, here's the brakes. And the things that get shouted at, you make a little bit more sense. And it starts to become normal because you start to understand these things. So you have this internal checklist. Swing my foot over the seat, push down on the pedal, sit down on the seat, put my other foot on the other pedal. And I start balancing and steering and I go forward with this. And so then what happens after that is after a while, the third thing that takes place is what we learn simply becomes natural. We just start to do it. It's not new. It's not normal. Eventually, you get on the bike, and you steer because it's natural. You balance, and it's just natural. You don't even think about it anymore. You don't ride down the street now and be like, look at me. I'm riding a bike. I mean, you could, but people look at you like you're a weirdo for doing it. Because now it's natural for everybody that we simply just know how to ride a bike. And if you haven't ridden a bike in a while, you could actually try it. and Because you, you can just hop on it, and you won't forget because it's just like riding a bike how's that now this is how it works okay so it starts off with like these words and then these words take on flesh and blood and once it what was once foreign words that are just yelled at you became naturally what you did pedal balance don't fall steer the words became flesh what was once external reality a whole bunch of commands instructions as you hit the mailbox or the tree or whatever it was it all becomes internalized it simply becomes the way that you do it it is so internalized you don't even think about it anymore it's just how you simply do it you don't get on a bike and think balance balance left right left right it doesn't even cross your mind anymore because the information has led to transformation see where we're going today that's right, he's right. I don't know. I don't get it. Okay, you'll, you'll new, normal, natural. We'll get there by the end of this, okay? Uh, there's a progression to learning things. And so Jesus starts in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he does. He goes from new to normal to second nature to just natural. So people would come to a place where you would naturally live the life that God knows that you can. That you would live in the kingdom of God because God knows that you can. That we would be a generous people. That we would affirm life where we find it. That we would live the way of God naturally. You don't even have to think about it. You just would. I got a couple examples of this. Like, uh, we are always pushing gospel communities around Element. If you haven't been around here enough and you haven't heard the word gospel community, I don't know where you've been, but we always say gospel communities. Uh, and so sometimes people start getting involved in gospel communities and they push back against us because we want our gospel communities to be very deep. 
very deep. And a lot of times people come from like a small group mindset and they go to a gospel community and they try to turn their gospel community into a small group. Oh, we meet once a week and we just talk about this and that's all there is. Gospel communities are about doing life together. It's about community centered around the gospel and everything starts to become so much deeper and so much stronger in that. And so sometimes I've had people who started that way and they're always pushed against gospel communities and then they got it. And then I will have them sit in my office about six months later and complain about people in their gospel community who don't understand gospel community. And I'm like, that was you six months ago. You know, what are you doing? Understand what's going on. I think it's kind of funny because now it's kind of become normal and natural for them to live that way. I was talking to Jonathan Whitaker, uh, one of our elders. He's in the Air Force. He's a major. He got transferred to Maryland. Hopefully you guys still remember him. He wrote, he wrote the blog this week on Elman's website, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Uh, and so I was talking to Jonathan, and we were last week, and he was talking about how the thing he misses really the most is his gospel community. He goes, this was our family. These are the people we did life with. We prayed for each other. They knew what was going on in my life. I knew what was going on in their life. And so he misses that. And that's what gospel communities are supposed to become. Uh, there's other areas of life this is supposed to be true as well. Uh, think about uh, if you're married. Okay, or you're not married, you want to be someday, and all that. There's a progression when you get married from new to, to normal to second nature and natural. New is like, I'm married, what do I do with this other person in my house? Uh, they're using my toothpaste, oh my goodness, what's going on? You know, and there's this whole progression to it. Like, you know, I, I, I'm the kind of guy like, oh, there's a toothbrush, I'll use that. Oh, there's a towel, I'll use that. That's what my wife did. One time she says to me, don't use my towel out of the shower. I don't want to put my face where your butt was. And I'm like, it's clean. I got out of the shower. And so, and so you start learning these new things where you love and you respect and you honor each other. You start to serve each other. And at first it's not easy. It's, it's all new. But then hope becomes a little more normal. And then after you've done it for a while, it becomes more and more natural. Uh, you know, like, like openness and communication and honesty. Should be, that's how a marriage should be. It should be naturally how we begin to live after enough time of learning new and normal to natural. Like, um, if you go to my house, I mean, don't do this, but if you own my laptop, uh, usually either mine or my wife's Facebook is logged in. We don't try and hide things from each other. And so, and so sometimes, like, you know, she'll post or I'll post. Like, she's like every hour. I'm like every three days. You know, but we'll try and post something. And, and sometimes she'll post on my account. Every once in a while, I'll post on her account. You know, and it's, and it's not like, and sometimes if anything's really rude that you ever see that she's written, it's probably me. Okay? It's like, oh, blah, 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 boom. Oh, crap. Yeah. That has her name on it. Whoops. You know. And she's responding because we don't, we don't hide things from each other. I mean, if you got, you got a cell phone, it's always up and open. Who's calling? Oh, that person's calling. Uh, oh, that person texted you. What did they say? Oh, this is what they said. Everything is open and honest. That's, that's a natural way to do marriage. And what we want to see in marriages is, is it function that way. And what starts to happen is maybe if communication's not that way and it's not open and honest, you start to feel like there's something wrong because the natural way is to have it open and honest. You start to feel like things are wrong. Or maybe you haven't seen your gospel community for a couple weeks and you're starting to feel like there's just something a little bit different here. Something's not right because you haven't seen them because it's become so natural. It's just what you do. I mean, think about this. You have things like the Ten Commandments. You have this Ten Commandments. One of them is do not murder. Okay? It's a command. So apparently it was an issue. All right. So, you know, do not, you know, do not murder somebody. So when you meet somebody for the first time and you walk into their presence, how about when you leave their presence? They're not dead. There's a new thing. Wow. Okay. Don't murder. I got that. You know, that that's good. And so what that then goes to is it starts to get this idea throughout the Jewish scriptures of you affirm life where you find it. Get to the New Testament. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
So now only are you not killing, but you're willing to lay down your life for others. So the new command is don't kill. The normal thing comes to a a firm life where you find it, then it goes into this natural, the the second nature. Be ready to sacrifice your life so that you can affirm life wherever you find it. It's not just don't kill. It's about affirming life. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is moving his people to a place where they so embody the love and the grace of God that it effortlessly flows out of who they are. We live in the kingdom of God. It's why in Matthew 5, 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's not against the law. He has come to show what the law, the words, the prophets look like when they take on flesh. The word fulfill has this connotation of to make speak. I have come to make the law speak. Jesus is interested in transcending the law from something that people just do into something they effortlessly incarnate. Open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Old Testament, go to the right of the Psalms. It's a thick book. You can find it. I trust it. Okay, you'll do good. Jeremiah 31. What Jeremiah 31 does, he starts talking about what the world's going to look like when the Messiah, when Jesus actually shows up. What's going to happen? What does this look like? Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The prophet writes this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. That's what we live in, this thing called the new covenant. Verse 33. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What that means is what was once commands written in stone, here's how you're supposed to live, is no longer written in stone, no longer hanging on the wall, no longer written in a book. It's God writing it upon our hearts, the translation. They will do what's right because it's natural, because it won't even occur to them to do it another way. That's life in the kingdom of God. Jesus is interested in transcending the law from something you do into something you effortlessly incarnate. And I know we've got a long process to get there. I'm not saying any of us are perfect or anybody has has reached that. But you have these things like the prophet said, care for the poor. Care for the poor. And so he wants his people to naturally care for the poor. How do we begin to understand what that even means? Well, that's how Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who's that? That's all of us. That's all of us when we understand how we have blown it, how we are most acutely aware of how we're not living in the kingdom of God, of our own shortcomings. When we see our own lives as being unmanageable, God is there. He is with us and he blesses us. And so he starts there. Blessed are you even when you don't have it together. Even when you're riding the bike and you fall over. Blessed are you. I am there with you. And then Jesus goes from there into talking about salt and light. The way that we're supposed to interact and be in the world. And he goes from that into, I have not come to abolish the law. I want to put flesh on it so you begin to live what this looks like. Then he talks about relationships and those things that pull us away from relationship with each other and relationship with God. There are these bad things that do that. Adultery, murder, revenge, anger. These are all these bad things that get in the way. And then he goes to chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And so till now he's been talking about all these negative things that get in the way of relationships. And now he starts talking about some good things that could actually get in the way of our life with God. Just like murder and rage can get in the way. Doing good deeds in order to simply be seen by other people get in the way as well. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received the reward. But when, third time Jesus says this, you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The first thing you got to see is that Jesus assumes his disciples are generous. He assumes that right off the bat. When you are doing your acts of righteousness, when you give to the needy, 
Now, in Jesus' day, good Jews followed the law. And the law had specific times where you would give to the needy. You know, it wasn't anything you even thought about. It wasn't something that was new. You simply just did it that way. Why? Why? Because the God of the scriptures that Jesus speaks of is fundamentally defined by generosity. Jesus' view is that God the Father, he's not static, where he's carved up a piece of pie and said, now work really hard and follow the law and maybe you'll get a piece of that pie. Figure it out. Do it. That's not what God is. God has first blessed us. He has come and offered blessing and extended relationship to his people. You understand, God is a triune God. God is a community of loving, giving, serving oneness in which the universe itself, according to Genesis, is the overflow of that outpouring of the generosity of God. The creativity of all life explodes out of the nature of who God is. This is what the entire scriptures speak of. That Jesus kind of talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. God is a God who loves to create because he can't keep it in. He's so filled with creativity and joy and blessing and grace and love. And so for Jesus, the way you connect with the Father, this Father who is known by generosity and creativity, is you disciple and practice generosity as a way of staying in tune with who God is. Imagine you're someone who struggles with the idea that there even is a God. And I've got to tell you, anyone who's serious about faith will tell you that faith and doubt are like dance partners. They go hand in hand a lot. You know, just kind of ran around. I think the church is the best place to talk about those struggles. It's where we should be open enough to talk about those things. Actually, the next two weeks, we're going to talk about faith and doubt and putting those things together. And so if you have those kind of questions, whether it's philosophical or theological or intellectual, why the Holocaust? Why doesn't God do something about this over here? These are questions that followers of Jesus have had all throughout the ages. And when people are struggling or asking, you know, how or where is God? I think one of the best questions we can ask ourselves is, how are you practicing generosity? And I know the first thought that is, sounds like something a church would say. <laughs> how are you practicing giving money? <laughs> you know? no, you got to understand there's so much more to asking that question. You know, what type of services do you give yourself to? You know, monetarily, energy, time, passion. Because here's the deal. If you try to resolve the God question merely from an intellectual or theological or ontological level, which are all good things to try and do, the problem in the scriptures is that God in the scriptures never said, think your way to me. That's never what he says. What is it? He's the God who said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the nobodies. Blessed are those who have so blown it, they have no idea what to do. I'm going to come, and I will redeem you, and I will save you. That's who God is. God is fundamentally defined by generosity. And many times we struggle to connect with God, and yet we're not practicing the raw essence of who he has revealed himself to be. And what happens is we become disconnected from the deepest nature of God. He is a giver. He gave us life, that he gave us the gift of his son who comes into the world to save us. He gives us the gift of grace. He gives us light to dispel the darkness, hope, when we had made everything hopeless. God has known page after page, verse after verse, as a God who says, you want to know me? Live on mission with me. And the way you live on mission with me is simply being generous. We try and resolve this God question by reading and studying and wrestling through issues is if at some point the light's going to click on. And sometimes they do. And that's not a bad thing. I read, I struggle, I wrestle, I do all kinds of stuff like that. But you've got to also understand that our God is a God who was found in the dirt and the sweat and the grime and the blood and the suffering that is around us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where Jesus is. That's where he starts. I mean, maybe God's drawing your heart to maybe help out with Randy and Edie in one of their projects in Thailand. 
There's multiple things you can do to help them out there. Maybe God's calling you to a big brother organization or to be a foster parent of some sort. Maybe you look around and there's a mom who needs a little bit of help. Maybe there's a new couple who has a little baby and it cries all the time and they're going crazy and they don't know what to do. And yet you had a baby and you've been through this. And you're like, you can come alongside them and say, here, let me help you. Let me explain how we got through this in our life. Maybe there's a new couple and they're dating and they're thinking about marriage and maybe you come alongside and mentor them in that. Maybe you can give yourself away and do that. I mean, and when I say mentor them, you need to have the marriage that's like open and honest, like whose Facebook is open? I don't know. You know, you need that. Not, not like, don't look at my phone, honey. You know, you need the open and honest marriage. But mentor somebody. Start give give yourself away in that. Because when we start to give ourselves away, it fundamentally changes who we are. It changes how we see the entire world around us. Element's going to try and build a building here pretty soon. You know, because we don't have a permanent home. And so we're going to be talking about that. And generosity is a big part of that. When you give, you see how it changes you and other people around you. And it helps us, I think, to understand better and connect better to who God is. You cannot isolate anything from the Sermon on the Mount from anything else. For Jesus, it is assumed his disciples are generous. When you are giving, he says, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Apparently that was a thing. Can you imagine? I mean, how crazy is that? He says, don't just do it so other people are going to be impressed by you. If you do it to be seen by others, Jesus says, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let me try and put this in our words for the day, what this would kind of look like. I I think that, that Jesus said God doesn't hover. God's not going to be clingy. God gets the hint. If you're doing good deeds so people would see and people saw, mission accomplished. Done. If your intent was to be seen and you were seen, you got the reward that you were looking for. If the intent was to be noticed and you were noticed, there's your reward. I think Jesus says that people were clearly doing certain things for a certain audience, not for him. And when he's not invited in, in that instance, you know, he respectfully, in a sense, bows out. He didn't want God to be part of it. Fine. So God's not part of it. You get your reward in full. I think the implications of that become stunning. They really do. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in the midst of a religious company or a church or a mission trip or even a gospel community. And they talk about Jesus and they say, like, all the right things. And it's very Christians. Maybe they have bulletins or, you know, sermon notes and handouts and stuff like that. But in a really strange way, it's kind of like Jesus, like Elvis, has left the building. It's like, you know, where is he in that? My friend Luke travels all over the world, meets some of the craziest people, goes to a bunch of churches and a bunch of places and simply because he really is kind and generous and he's one of the nicest guys you ever meet so he goes to all sorts of odd churches i think it's how he ended up at element actually because you know we're an odd place Uh, the last time he was talking to me he's lamenting this this sort of thing that he has gone to so many churches that he travels all over the world and so many people claim to be christians but nobody talks about jesus all these churches what they say is oh it's all about people it's all about people no it's all about jesus And out of Jesus and understanding him, then he comes to save people. But it's first and foremost about Jesus first. That's where it starts. Uh, One church he was at told him that he has to speak in tongues every single day because that's how God downloads the new angel language software into you so you can understand the angel language. So my friend and I, Paul Shaver, were talking about it, and we think that God's a better programmer than that. God can do it once and it's done. He's not like iTunes where you've got to download the new version every single week so you can play your music. Sometimes churches have an abundance of Jesus language, and it's like they're missing the lifeblood of who Jesus actually is and was. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way somewhere. Don't raise your hands or anything, especially if it's here. <laughs> don't raise your hands. But I think part of what Jesus is saying is even when it's done, if the intent was to be noticed, and I know the earth is the Lord and everything in it, but at some level when we're just performing for other people and not doing acts of grace simply because of the kingdom of God and acts of grace, God's not in it. 
we don't have reward from our Father. And you also have to understand that the word reward in a Jewish context isn't about some future type of payment. Oh, God's going to pay me back for doing this thing. This idea of reward, it's, it is present reality, dynamic present reality. When we hear the word reward, we think, oh, God's going to give me something. Oh, I'm going to get a crown, or God's going to give me a red or a gold Ferrari. It's like some static thing. I'll tell you, if the best the creator of the universe can do is give you a car that needs an oil change, something's wrong. Something's wrong. All right? The reward in the Jewish sense is always dynamic interaction. What do you love the most? What do you love the most? I'm going to grow your life, and I'm going to give you more of that. Reward is this idea. The more that we follow and live in his kingdom and do the things he does, we're like, wow, this is amazing. And God's like, I'm going to give you more of that. I'm going to call you more and more and more on mission with me. He's inviting us more into what he is doing. So he talks about these trumpets. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. The whole flow of the Sermon on the Mount starts at the beginning of verse 5. We took four months just to get through the Beatitudes. And it starts with blessing, where we already are in our unworthiness and our not good enoughness. At that moment, God blesses us. That's where he starts. Because if you don't start there and you don't understand first the blessing of God, you will start to try and sound trumpets. You will you'll think, oh, well, God hasn't met me in my hurt and my pain or, or God's not over here. So you will seek validation from all of these people and all of these things to help you understand, well, maybe if they say I'm good enough, then maybe I'm not rubbish. Or, or then they'll say I am good enough over here. Because we do all these things, we don't feel like we measure up because we don't understand the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. That's why he starts there. It all flows out of the blessing of God. See, sometimes the trumpets are for other people. Sometimes they're for us. And we blow them so everyone can see how good we are. And we blow them because we're so desperate to convince ourselves that we aren't rubbish. And so these trumpets go both ways. And so this is why he speaks the way that he does. You must first be grounded and rest in the blessing of God, first and foremost before everything else. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. To be seen by them are these words, theomayatos, and it means in order to be theater. He says, don't do your good deeds as theater. There's a theater built not far from where Jesus grew up. A lot of scholars think that Jesus and his father actually worked on this theater to help build it. And throughout a lot of the things that Jesus says, he uses a lot of theatrical terms, like the word hypocrite. It actually refers to an actor on a stage that wore a mask. And so he uses these kind of theatrical things a lot. Don't do it as theater. He says, when you do it, it's not about performing. God's not going to love you more. It's not about making others think you have it together. It's simply supposed to be a natural way that you live life. Doing uh, good for theater seems to push out Jesus in favor of other people and in favor of yourself. And that should never happen. We must rest and be secure in who he is. This is why Jesus ends with this. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. People take that out of context so often. And they think, oh, nice little haiku by Jesus. Left hand, right hand. You know, that kind of little thing. What What Jesus is saying here is there is a difference between intention and attention. Intention and attention. The the verse sometimes is interpreted, oh, if someone sees you do a good deed, deny it, or you're going to lose your reward from God. That can be further from what Jesus is saying. He's not saying no one can know. The fact is, when you do good deeds, people will notice, but that should point to your Father who is in heaven and not to yourself. He's telling you the difference between attention and intention. Was your intention just to get attention? That's what he's asking. You know, because it should all come out of the blessing that we are first received it should come out and naturally out of this loving response to a generous god who has so loved us that's why we give away what we have been given 
because our God calls us to be givers. Our response to giving becomes the only natural thing that we could ever do. And so when Jesus talks about this left-hand, right-hand thing, people have spent hundreds of years debating what that actually means around all sorts of directions. It's a statement of consciousness. That's all that it is. It's a way of saying, may you grow in the grace and the trust of your heavenly Father. May the life of God become so entwined in your life, you naturally give what you have received. I'll tell you, the people I know that are the most generous, most of the time don't even know they're that generous. And sometimes I'll point it out, do you know that you just did da 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 And they're like, oh, wow. Look at that. That's amazing. That is your left hand not knowing what your right hand is doing. It just naturally flows out of you. And I know sometimes, you know, we, we look for ulterior motives and, and things like that. But I think a lot of times when we look for ulterior motives and what people are doing, I think we're just jealous that we want to have that same kind of life and we don't. I think it's simply we must be a people who come back and understand the blessing of God first and foremost. Uh, you know, this, this left-hand, right-hand thing. And, and this is how Jesus kind of sets up where the rest of the Sermon on the Mount goes. When he talks about giving and prayer and fasting, when he talks about faith and doubt and trees and fruit, it all kind of starts to stem from this idea that we must be a people who first and foremost rest in the blessing of God. If we do not, we will do all of the things in our lives for theater for other people. You'll make every post you make on Facebook for other people. You'll make sure everything you say and everything you do is for other people to notice rather than simply living a natural life in the kingdom of God that honors him and all that you do. It's kind of like the bike. You know, faith, trust, pedal, faith, trust, pedal, and you just, all of a sudden you're balancing and living it. You don't even realize it because you're just doing it for the sheer joy of riding. And I guarantee you, living the kingdom of God, riding the bike that way, you're going to hit a parked car. You're going to hit a mailbox. You're going to hit the tree, you know, <laughs> in the middle of the forest or wherever you're riding where the tree, you know. You're going to hit, and you're going to go down, and Jesus is going to come along and go, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Let's keep riding the bike. And he's going to pick you up and keep you going because we are to be people who live in generosity because God's kingdom is not about merit and earning. It's a kingdom that is based in the grace of who he is. That is the kind of God that he is that comes and extends blessing to his people. And we must be a people who understand that blessing because when we do, it will define all that we do. It defines the negative ways that we interact with people and it even defines the positive ways we interact with people. It all first centers in the blessing of God. That's why we go to communion every week. It's a way to recenter what's happening. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I. That we were people who were poor in spirit. And our God came to save and redeem us. That's what it is reminding us of. And so we do that, reminding that Jesus died for our sins. That's what separated us, not just from God, but from each other. And that has been taken away and done with. He rises from the dead and gives us new life. We live and walk in new life. Why? First, because of the blessing of God. That's where it starts. And so we remember that. We take communion. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe you've you've been living your life in a way that you're just trying to get everybody else to notice what you're doing. You're trying to get everybody else to see how good you are, or how good you can be, or how blessed you are, or how blessed you could be, and, all and you're not simply resting in the person who Jesus Christ is. Well, they'd love to pray with you about that today, to, to help you understand how to recenter your life in the person of Jesus. Because, again, when you understand first God's blessing in our lives, it changes everything. Everything changes. Everything comes out of who Jesus is first 
Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response. It's that generosity that comes out of what God is doing in us. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of food in the back. Uh, I don't know what it is. I think it's like cut-up muffins or something. I was kind of perusing the kitchen earlier. Um, <laughs> so there's some food back there. Grab something to eat. But again, we give you something to eat because we want you to grab it and not just run out the door. Uh, you know, grab lunch from, from the youth and for their help out their mission trip. Go say hi to Randy and Edie. But talk to somebody else around here. Don't just run out, run out of the door. We want you to connect with some other people so you can ask some of these questions on the back of the sermon notes. How, do you, how can you help others to fully rest in the blessing of Jesus first? Understanding what God has first done for us so that everything we do comes out of that. Understanding his great grace given to us. Understanding that, yes, when we are riding this bike called the kingdom of God and we do hit a mailbox or a car or fall over in the forest hitting the tree, you know, whatever, that Jesus is still there picking us up because we understand our condition. We also understand the redemptive power of who he is. And we live in that, first and foremost. That's how we live the kingdom of God. That's how we live as a people of God. It's for, first and foremost based in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us as a people and have us understand the great gift of grace that you have bestowed upon us. That we would be those who can understand it in such a way that we don't feel like we have to perform for everybody else. We don't feel like we are the ones who have to make everybody like us. And we are the ones who feel like we have to do everything the right way. But we are those who simply first rest in the blessing that you have provided. And out of that comes everything else. That we would not only understand your extravagant love, that we would begin to live your extravagant love. That we would not only understand the rhythms of your grace, we would live in those rhythms of your grace. That lives around us would be touched and blessed because you have touched and blessed us. And you would take and use us as your hands and your feet to make a difference in the world around us. That worship of you wouldn't be songs that we sing on a Sunday morning or not just that. But they'd be the lives that we live outside of these walls and how we interact with our families and our neighbors and our coworkers and all those that we come into contact with. That we would not feel the need to blow our own trumpets. Many people think that we are better than we are. We would simply rest in being your children. Then all the ways that you call us to live in your kingdom would naturally begin to flow out of us because the love and the trust that we have in you and the blessing that you have given to us. Teach us today to live as your kids who fully represent who you are So the world knows the great goodness of a God who has come to redeem and save them. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.